This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. And today I'm joined with Justine Martin, who is a resilience coach who's on quite the journey. She's overcome so much herself and she helps others do the same. She's also an artist, if I'm right in saying that, Justine, and very, very creative. So thanks for being a guest on the show. Thanks for having me. So share a bit about your story there. What have you overcome? Because a lot of people listening might not know so here's your chance to give people some context for our conversation okay so back in march 2011 i was diagnosed with ms um i was always told that i wouldn't get ms my mum had it and that it wasn't hereditary well it's not but if you have a genetic predisposition and all the environmental factors are in place, uh, you can get it. So I became quite ill in 2010 and it took about six months for them to diagnose me with EMS. And then I lasted at work for about a month afterwards and just wasn't handling it. My body, you know, was falling apart, so to speak. And my neurologist said to me, you're going to have to stop work and find a hobby because you're going to have a lot of time on your hands. And I'd always wanted to learn how to paint um, and thought I'll do it one day when I uh, retire, you know, when I'm in my 70s or 80s or 90s. I had a grandfather that never retired (laughs) and he was in his 90s when he left the planet. So, you know, that was the, the vision that I thought. And And then all of a sudden here I'm having a medical professional turn around and say to me, oh, you can't work anymore, Um, find, you know, find a hobby. So I had such gruelling anxiety when I first started um, or when I was first diagnosed and I couldn't walk in through an art studio door for fear of failure and, you know, what were people going to think of me and I was no longer the person I used to be and my confidence had gone out the window and Mm. For four very long months, I would drive there, sit outside, nope, couldn't walk in, and then drive home in tears. And then one day I just went, bugger it, I'm going inside. And something just snapped in me and I thought, how hard can it be? And walked in and took to it like a duck to water and uh, then sold my first piece of artwork about five months later for $300. Now, when I stopped work, uh, that was my whole financial security had gone. I I lost, you know, my ability to earn money and I solely became reliant on another human being to put a roof over my head and food in my mouth and my children's mouths. And I hated it. I hated it. And so here I was, I'd sold a piece of artwork and got $300 for it. And it could have been $3 million because that's what it felt like to me. And it's like, I can finally (laughs) make money again. I finally have, um, you know, some purpose back in life. And so that was 2012 that I sold that. Then my partner decided that um, me having MS would affect his goals and dreams in life. And he walked out. And he did me a favour by doing that. At the time, I didn't feel like it, but definitely has done me a favour because I probably wouldn't have what I have now in life if I'd stayed with him. And so, you know, to me, everything has a, a reason, even if you can't see what it is at that particular time. Then in 2013, 14 and 15, my body had other ideas again and I had um, heart surgery. So I was making too many heartbeats for the first two surgeries and 
Then the third surgery, I was missing one in every five heartbeats. So they did ablations or they burnt bits in my heart when I was awake. So then that was 2013, 14, 15. 2016, I was competing um, in Olympic weightlifting. I took that sport up after I was diagnosed with MS and was competing at the Australian Masters Olympic Weightlifting Championships and the Oceania Pacific Rim Masters Championships. And I kept going purple and Um, my hands were in a lot of pain I thought oh this is new and you know when something happens to my body I am straight down the doctors because I know that it's always something serious and I went to the doctors and she took one look at me and said don't worry about it come back in four months if it's still happening and I'm like yeah no I'm, I'm not listening to that and just as well I didn't and I went and got a second opinion and they decided that I had a blood condition called Levidio reticularis. And then that led me to being diagnosed when they stumbled across at the dermatologist, uh, melanoma. And I thought that's why I was going purple, that it was because of the melanoma. But no, apparently my body had other ideas and it was a different condition altogether that was causing the video. Then I got diagnosed with mixed cryoglobulinemia. So I was making too many cryoglobiums in my blood, which is a protein, and that was causing inflammation. And that's what was making me go purple. And so all the small blood vessels under the surface of the skin would clot. And so there was no blood flow and, um, you know, that would cause narcosis where, you know, your, your extremities, so your nose, your ears, your fingers and your toes can just die because there's not enough blood flow to that. And um, then I got diagnosed with chronic lymphocystic leukemia and small lymphocystic lymphoma. So I had melanoma, lymphoma, leukemia, mixed cryoglobulinemia and the video reticularis all at the same time, as well as coping with the MS. And then um, I went through chemo, had allergic reactions to the chemo, so nothing had ever gone easy. I ended up with a blister rash covered from head to toe Uh and it increased my cryoglobulin level and I ended up with a different rash as well as the purple rash. And I'm in a few medical textbooks apparently because it's unheard of that this this has happened and, um, you know, just even the allergic reactions and what that had done to my body, let alone having three primary cancers at once and two other blood conditions. So um, anyway, I'm, I'm in remission uh, from it. And uh, when I was going through the chemo treatment, the day I found out that I could, you know, potentially have cancer was the day that I got the keys to my own home. And so it was a bittersweet time. And When I bought this house, I always wanted to convert the four-car garage into an art studio and teach other disabled people on how to paint and give back to them. And here I was now facing, um, uh, you know, the fight of my life and I was stage four by the time that I was diagnosed with it all. And it was, you know, it was very scary and um, I'm not going to say it was an easy ride because it sure as hell wasn't, Um, but I came through it. And then in 2019, I opened Just Art 
uh, wellness classes for other disabled people and I've done a whole heap more since since 2019 so there's a brief brief history on uh, everything that's kind of gone wrong there's a few other things in there as well like I've broken a big tie I, I have a couple I've had a couple of falls so with the MS and I've broken my big toe, I've cracked a rib last year, I had um, a broken arm um, and I still managed to paint a children's book all while having a broken arm and um, then I'm still waiting on corrective surgery for my arm with a torn tendon, uh, or torn ligament, sorry, and a torn cartilage. Uh, so, you know, you just get through one adversity and then life just throws another one at you. So it's like, okay, so how can, you know, I don't give up. How can I modify my way through that and um, change my painting technique last year and, and my style a little bit and, and continue to paint. So there you go. That's definitely a laundry list and shopping list of, of things that, <laughs> you overcome and then there's the next thing and you overcome that and then there's the next thing and you mentioned yeah. changing how you paint as a way of still doing what it is that you want to do but doing mm. it your way and finding your brand new way of doing things which I guess speaks to how are you able to actually continue to be positive and optimistic and it's a big assumption really maybe you don't actually feel happy and optimistic and oh no I'm happy those things I'm happy and I'm positive because you know it takes too much bloody negative to be negative you know too much energy to be negative and you know when you're in a positive mood you feel lighter you're happier um don't get me wrong I suffer with depression and I've been medicated um back in 2011 um it's just nowadays I know when I'm slipping down into that dark hole and I have strategic measures that I put in place um, that I don't end right down there and try and, you know, crawl myself back out again. And things like I still weight lift three days a week. I've gone back to competing in strongman events as a all abilities athlete, so as a disabled athlete, and I've won two competitions this year. So I know that the gym's my happy place, one of my happy places, and I go in and I pick up big things and it's like Juzzy 1 MS 0 or Juzzy 1 Cancer 0, uh, so to speak. Um, I try and surround myself with like-minded, happy people because you are the sum of the five people that you hang around, whether you like it or not. And if you're hanging around with negative people all the time, that will brush off on you. So, you know, I make sure that I've got really positive people in my life and I network in, in business groups and, again, with positive people. And, you know, you never see a negative person doing a, train, a, a training session at the gym. Everyone's there because they want to improve themselves and improve their body, improve their health, improve their mind. Um, so I do have bad days. Um, I do have really shitty days. I, I'm, you know, not infallible to, to those, but they'll normally be a few hours. 
And it might, you know, happen once every few months or if I get bad news, um, which tends to happen more than what I would like it to. Um, I do have a bit of a meltdown. I do have a cry and I let it all out and I go, okay, well, how am I going to tackle this one? What do I need to do? And the hardest thing is not having a diagnosis. When you know that there's something wrong with you and you just have to wait until they figure it out, that I've always found the hardest part. Once you get a name of what it is, it's like, right, now let's tackle this bitch and let's get on and fix it or deal with it and, all right, how do I have to modify my life in order to keep moving forward? And, you know, I do look in the past every so often and, and you know, that rear vision mirror and go, well, yeah, you know, I have come a long way and I have come a long way in the, in the last 10 years. I was also diagnosed in 2018 with a thing called lipedema and it's inflammation of the fat cells and it's known as painful um, leg syndrome as well and the world health organization has just recognized it and it affects 11 percent of all women out there so i would guarantee that some of your listeners are sitting there and our legs look like billiard table legs or there's no ankles we get cankles and we have no definition in calves and that but it's that's extremely painful and I've been dealing that with my whole life and um it's hereditary it's genetic and my mum had it my nana had it my auntie's got it I've got a cousin that's got it and there was never a name to it we just you know we had the legs that no one wants to see and then when I got a diagnosis (laughs) it's like right now I can do some research on this and now I can work out how I'm going to tackle it and and what I'm going to do and how I can prevent it from um, increasing and getting worse so um, yeah I I write all the time Um, I've written some books um, that helps me with my positivity as well I set goals all the time um on what I want to achieve in my personal life and my business life. And, you know, that, and one of them is to actually send a letter to my neurologist, my former neurologist who told me I would never work again and, and say, well, I now own and run six businesses under a corporation, (laughs) my corporation of Justine Martin Corporation. And I'm a podcast host as well. And, um, some would say I'm an overachiever, but, you know, I'll wash their mouth out with soap with that one. Uh, but, yeah, that, you know, that keeps me positive, you know, knowing what I'm creating and what I'm leaving to my children and my grandchildren definitely um, helps me. And, and and being a grandma helps as well. You know, you've got to be positive around that generation because they're always watching you. And if, if you know, if we don't put a positive spin on things, then the world's going to be a very bleak place to live in. What I really want to know is what you would say your life was. Like, is it a game? Is it an experiment? Is it a holiday, perhaps? Like, what version of life would you say that you had that meant that you could keep progressing forwards because if life was a struggle if life was a a prison for you it'd be harder all the time than if you saw it a different way so it's making me think about well maybe you have a way of seeing life that means that no matter what you're always going to keep moving forwards 
Yeah, look, if I go back to when my kids were little, there's one certain incident that um, we were homeless. We had nothing. Um, My son was eight, nine years of age, and my daughter would have been about four or five. And it was winter here in Australia and it was cold. I lived in a um, on the top of the Tablelands in northern New South Wales and it was snowing. So that's how cold it was. And we were actually, the only place I could get for us to stay was in a caravan park. And both kids had the chicken pox. And I just sat there and cried, think, and I was morbidly obese. I was um, about 45 kilos heavier than what I am now. And I'm like, how have I put us in this situation? I vow that I will never, ever do this to my family and my children again, and I would do whatever it took um, in order to create a better life for me and my children. And I did. And um, it didn't happen overnight, but I had a constant um, vision of what I wanted and that I would own my own home again and that, um, you know, there would be an abundance of good things come into my life. And um, I'm very big on, on vision boards and manifesting things into your life and being really specific on what you want. So, for an example, I always wanted a, a gardener and a house cleaner and then I would have made it in life. That would, that to me was like making it. If you had a house cleaner and, and someone to do your lawns, wow, you know, if you had yeah. that extra cash that you could do that. I have both of those now. And in Australia we have a thing called the NDIS, which is the National Disability Insurance Scheme. And because I'm disabled, the government actually pays for those for me. So I put it out there, but I didn't, I wasn't specific enough on, on that I wanted to pay for it and um, what I wanted. <laughs> so so you got to be careful with that. But, you know, I've got a background that um, in business that I grew up, uh, you know, I started Amway when I was about 18 or 20 years old. And you can rubbish Amway under the sun. I think I've joined it about four times. Um But they had a really good, when I joined, it was called the International Dream Association. And I started reading like motivational books and positivity was surrounded about it. And every job that I've ever had or every business that I've ever had since then has all been about being positive and, and, uh, you know, a better image about yourself and, and looking after yourself and, and all of that. So, um, Being positive has become second nature to me. Uh, If I'm ever negative, I never stay there for very long. I I don't criticise, you know, what other people are wearing or doing. They're walking their own path. Um, But I'm there to help anyone that, you know, is having difficulties and facing adversities. And that's what being a resilience consultant coach is all about is there isn't an adversity that I can think of that I haven't actually faced in, in one way, you know, shape or another. And um, so, you know, my knowledge and, and everything that I've gone through um, helps so many other people with being, you know, a keynote speaker, running workshops on resilience, writing books on resilience and, and being positive uh, as well. So did that answer the question, Michael, or did I go in a roundabout kind of way? Well, I mean, it, it definitely made me think of something that 
I think is important that maybe you could speak to, which ultimately it's for some, it's a habit for some, they have to work on it and really try to focus and just try to improve their state of mind. As you said, if you're positive, you feel lighter, everything feels better. Even the dark days feel better when you go into it with a positive attitude but for some mm. it's their resting state for some it's very very hard work to even mm. get there never mind maintain it how do you suggest people go about treating it as almost like a training program like you, you mentioned things for your weightlifting typically there's a program for the weights it made me think of yeah. is there a program for positivity and how can people do that well, I actually have a downloadable pack on the 10 top tips of resilience, and that's actually covered in it. Um, I started off um, when I identified, you know, that I was struggling and that there were issues and there were certain patterns that I kept repeating in my life. I sought the help of a counsellor and a um, psychologist as well and went to them with an open mind and went, I can't keep repeating these behaviours. Why am I repeating these behaviours? How can I make new habits? Um, and I spent eight years uh, in therapy and it made the world of difference to me. Um, when I was diagnosed with the MS and then the heart surgeries and the cancers, I had someone there that I could vent to without it being family and friends who I thought it would be a burden to and I would give them extra worry because of what my mental state was at each of those. So to, to source out external help was probably like one of the main factors of me um, being where I am today and achieving everything um, that I have. And then the knowledge that I learned from, from all of that counselling and the courses that I've done and, and everything um, does help now other people in finding their own positivity. Quite often it's sitting right in front of you and you don't even realise that you're surrounded with positivity. Um, so, you know, it's a matter of you know, taking your blinkers off and, and um, having a look at the big wide world around you and, and finding something that you are grateful for each and every day. I'm grateful every morning I wake up and I'm alive. And then I'm grateful that I can get out of bed and make my own bed. And so I make my bed every single day because then if the rest of the day goes to shit, at least I've done one thing and that's make my bed. And then when I get into it at night, it's, it's nicely made. So then I get a decent night's sleep and I'm not wrestling with the blankets and the sheets all night. And then when I wake up in the morning, um, it's a brand new day. So Someone once told me that there's always something better around the corner. There's always something there. You've just got to keep moving forward. And, you know, sometimes that light at the end of the tunnel might just be the smallest little pinprick. But if you keep focusing on it and you keep moving towards it, you will actually get to the end of that tunnel and it will be a 
big bright light there and and um you'll have reached your goal and you know you can set your next your next goals and and um pat yourself on the black back that you've achieved where you want to be and and then move on for the next one but if you're hanging around with a lot of people that are negative then i would suggest to distance yourself from them and and look for a new circle um, to associate with um, the beauty about social media is that we can actually control the fuel that we're putting into our brains now if if you're looking at your socials and people are being very negative or they're not aligning with your values. You don't have to unfriend them, but there's a little button that says unfollow. And I quite often do that. I'll unfollow them for 30 days and I'll go, I'll check back in 30 days and see if you're still Mr. Negative Nancy or Miss (laughs) Negative Nancy. And then, um, you know, I get peace in my timeline and it's full of happy things. So, and um, I control, I don't watch major news channels anymore. If something's important and happening in the world, you know, that'll be discussed when I'm communicating verbally with someone and then I can go and look um, and do the research myself and find out what's happening. Um, I tend not to, you know, watch movies that upset me um, because then that puts me in a negative headspace. I don't actually watch much TV at all. I'm way too busy uh, to be spending hours and hours and hours on mindless TV. Um, I love watching TEDx talks. So anything positive that you can pull in, um, learning something new is a great way to, to become positive as well. And, you know, you don't, it doesn't have to be a full-blown certificate or degree or anything like that. It could be a course, that, something that you've always wanted to learn. It could be a new hobby, um, but that will put you in a positive mind frame. Uh, as well could be going on a holiday it could be absolutely anything but you know find something that you want to do and that you've always wanted to do and and that will bring out positivity in you I'm really enjoying hearing about the way that you think and the way that you take in information and process things it's helping hopefully the listeners achieve some kind of similarity to that as a result of of hearing the way that you do things because a lot of people typically don't really make a lot of changes unless they have to a lot of the Mm -hmm. time something happens and they adjust whether it's putting weight on whether it's a diagnosis or whatever it is typically if something's been brought to your awareness you then sit and think i need to address that and i need to do something about Mm -hmm. that you seem to have spent a lot of time trying to prevent things while things have been still knocking you back Mm. how do you encourage people to have a preventative mindset around positivity it's like if you can prevent negativity from entering your brain to a certain extent you then never have to apply any short-term treatments to it because you've got the preventative in place all the time how would you help people think like that it just becomes a habit so you know to create a new habit takes 66 days they say um so you know you make some subtle changes in your life and you know don't go all out and drastic and say right I'm cutting this person out of my life and this person I'm doing this I'm doing that because within a week you will have failed 
and then, you know, the negativity will be there. So they're gradual changes over a period of time. So if you can identify one thing that you're just going to work on and then when you've mastered that, then work on the next thing that you're going to, to work on. Um, I've always been quite positive um, in life. Um, my mum was a very ill woman as well. She had breast cancer at 27. She got MS at 33, cervical cancer at 40 and lung cancer at 49 and passed away at the age of 49 from complications from MS. So when I got diagnosed with MS, I looked at her journey and it scared the bejeebies out of me. And because I was 40 when I was diagnosed, I'm like, oh, my God, I've only got nine years left to live. Mm. I better start living. I better start doing things. How am, I, how am I going to achieve the life that I want when I've only got nine years left to go? And then I stopped and I thought, what did mum do or what didn't mum do that I could do better? How could I prolong my life longer? And she never drank water. She ate takeaway foods and fried foods. She never, ever exercised and she smoked. So I went, well, I've never smoked and I'm never going to smoke and I don't do illegal drugs. Um, I have the odd glass um, of alcohol, but I've really cut that back as well. I only do that in a social situation. And then I thought, well, I'm going to exercise. Now, I had been doing weightlifting um, up until that point. I've competed in a lot of other different weightlifting codes as well as um, competed nationally for tug of war, um, which is never a glamorous sport, but, geez, it was fun. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, you know, here I am being told when I've got MS that, you know, my whole world's going to stop and, you know, life was looking really bleak and go and get all your affairs in order, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know what, I'm not my mom, and my journey is not her journey it's my journey and um so I started exercising again and that was just walking and I'd walk as far as I possibly could and and it wasn't far to start with at all and then you know I built up from that and then walking exercise puts you in the endorphins that are released when you exercise um far outweigh not doing the exercise at all and do you know what the hardest part of walking is i don't actually know it's out through the front door once you can get out through the front door you will walk but the hardest thing is sitting on the lounge going i need to go for my exercise today i need to do my exercise today just get up and do it we spend far more time procrastinating about it doing a certain um thing than if we'd just done that thing to start with and and that's one of my philosophies as well is i just get in and do it i don't procrastinate anymore because time is the most precious commodity you cannot buy it reuse it sell it or borrow it so be very careful on who you spend it on and what you spend it on as well and you know i don't want to get on my deathbed i've been there a couple of times but I don't want to get on my deathbed and go, geez, I wish I'd tried that. Why didn't I do that? I really wanted to go and do that, but I didn't because such and such talked me out of it. You know, other people's false beliefs on what you can actually do um, and what you're capable of will kill a lot of dreams. They'll, they'll just kill the dreams. And, you know, and my neurologist was a classic example of that when he told me that I couldn't work anymore. 
right? He didn't know me. He didn't know me. Um, no, I didn't go back to work straight away. Um, and, you know, I was told by another professional that there wasn't enough time or money to retrain me for anything. And, you know, someone who's 40 years of age, I still had a lot of living to do and a lot of things to contribute back to society. And for those people to have told me that was just damaging. Um, but, again, that was their belief, not mine. And I knew that I could give back to society in more ways than one. And, you know, here I am uh, 11 years later and I'm doing just that. What kind of things do you do that stop the external words, phrases, criticisms, any number of different ways of wording it that actually stop you? Because as you said, it can be quite damaging. So how can we handle that? How do we do that dance of other people's opinions? Oh, I'm normally never tell me can't. So my mum used to say to me, there's no such word as can't. And I think I'm going to turn it into a title of my next book. Um, and that's my philosophy. You know, I'll say yes and then work out how to do it. Um, when someone says to me, oh, you can't do that, or I get all the time, I was seeing a guy not so long ago and he's like, you do too much, you need to slow down. And I'm like, no, I don't. I know what I'm capable of doing. I know what my body is capable of doing. If what I'm doing is making you uncomfortable in your own life, that's your issue. That's not mine. But please don't tell me what I can and can't do because I know what I'm capable of doing. Um, so when people give me negative comments, I turn it into a positive and I'm like, okay. And then in the back of my mind, it's like, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you. <laughs> I <laughs> and like I do, and I do, that. look. <laughs> you do. Yes, of course, definitely you do, 100%. Yeah. Is it something like a, a level of faith in yourself or yes. you know your own mind enough that other people can't really change it or tweak it or modify it because you know your own mind enough which then speaks to self-awareness mm. being mm. the key of everything mm. that we've spoken about so far there's a lot of different ingredients that you've mentioned over the yeah, course definitely. of the interview but it seems like you need to know your own mind and know yourself enough to know what works what doesn't what direction mm. to go mm. what things to stay away from is that the case is that correct is that accurate and how do you actually encourage people to learn more about themselves okay so oh that's a detailed question there michael um i am more aware about myself i'm aware of my mind and i'm aware of my body and that didn't happen overnight as i said there was a lot of counseling in that um i also the first thing that you can work on is your boundaries and we all need to have our own boundaries put in place. And if someone's encroaching on your boundaries, you need to speak up and say, no, that doesn't fit within my values, my boundaries, whatever it is, and, and rectify that situation. Don't ever just sit there and take it. You know, if something's making you feel uncomfortable, speak up about it um, or remove yourself from that situation. Um, you know, I help a lot of people like I said, overcome the adversities in their life and, um, you know, weekly coaching with me, uh, you know, helps them get that direction and, and 
create those new habits and break those yeah. old habits. And it, it often takes a third party to to identify what needs changing or what isn't working. So, you know, working with someone like me, I sit down and, and just listen to their stories and their words and, and what they're putting together and, and what they're struggling with and what they may want to achieve. And then we start working through it, you know, one bit at a time. And then, you know, it comes into the whole bigger picture. So without, you know, saying, oh, you've got to do this, 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 this and this in the first week and, and lose them forever because that's that's way too much. We just work on creating one new habit um, at a time. And, and, you know, one new habit for positivity is going to bed early, making sure that you get your eight hours sleep. And, and that's why I came up with the 10 top tips for resilience was, um, people would ask me all the time, you know, how am I positive? You know, how do I get through everything that I've faced? And um, the, the number one thing is not to live in the past. I can't change what's happened. I don't like that I have MS. I don't like that I've had cancer, but I accept that I have MS and I accept that I've had cancer. And I think that mindset um, then helps you deal with other things that, that come your way. And I did grieve for a long period of time. I grieved um, my former life, um, but, you know, when I was able-bodied. And uh, I don't remember waking up without pain. Um, every single day I'm in pain and I keep busy and I keep busy in order to take my mind off the pain that I'm actually um, experiencing or the fatigue that I'm that I've got and a lot of people could probably now relate to people who get fatigue if they've got COVID or they've got long COVID so there's a whole heap of people out there that are now dealing with long COVID, I being one of them. I've had it since February. Um, and, you know, some days are a real struggle. And I can only imagine what some people are going through because if I find that I'm struggling with the fatigue and the long COVID and I've been living with fatigue now for 12 years, what other people are going through at the moment must be so daunting for them and not knowing who to turn to for help and how to get help as well. Um, it, yeah, it's just mind-boggling to me so you know reach out to someone in your community that you can talk to that that you can trust and um, start working on one habit at a time I need to ask you Justine how you stay in this level of acceptance how do you accept yourself no matter what happens no matter what comes your way how do you do that because change can be tough for people mm. accepting that you had to grieve while accepting that you can't change it they seem like contradictions when you're grieving because you can't change it so why should you be grieving but then you've got to accept the fact that it, it is still a process and you still have to mm. grieve elements of it how do you stay in that level of acceptance the entire time I didn't have the energy to, to energy and mind space it's like <laughs> when, you, when you're battling fatigue it's like well you know to be negative 
uses more muscles on your face. It uses more brain. Um, more, And I just didn't have that. And I don't have that. Um, you know, how good does it feel after you've had a good belly laugh? How good does it feel when you've got goals put in place and you've got directions? How good does it feel when you're in a routine and, um, you know, you can deal with things a lot better when you haven't got clutter around your house, when everything's in place, when your hygiene is looked after. Um, it makes it easier than when an adversity comes your way to stay on track. And, you know, it might knock you on your ass for a little while and that's okay. And it's also okay to be sad. We are now taught or, you know, there's a lot of hype on, on depression and I'm not saying people don't suffer with depression, so don't, don't put that out of context. What I'm saying is that I have a sad day. I'll have a sad day, but it's a sad day. It's not a sad year or it's not a sad month, um, you know, I'll, I'll release those emotions that, you know, that if I'm angry or I'm upset with bad news, I'll cry, but I don't stay there for a long period of time because what's the point? What does that do? How will that improve my quality of life by staying in that, that point? Um, and it doesn't. So. Um, it takes me a little while to, you know, come back up, but then I will surround myself with people that I know will make me laugh or, you know, are caring and compassionate and I'll put on my favourite movie or I'll listen to my favourite podcast or um, put a TEDx talk on or put some music on and sing to my pleasure and my pleasure only. <laughs> so... I can't sing, um, but it doesn't matter because I'm singing for my pleasure. And and in my job, like, because I run the art wellness classes, I, you know, I own six businesses now, but the art wellness classes are pretty special for me. And to see other disabled people creating and, and you know, coming to life and they're in their happy place, you know, that makes me get out of bed. Um, I love my life. I absolutely love my life. Despite everything that's gone wrong, um, I'm in the most happiest place I have ever been mentally, the most happiest I've ever been. And physically, I can't really say that, um, but I'm getting old too. You know, I'm a grandmother of six, so um, soon to be seven. Um, so, yeah, you know, my body... If my body fails me and I have to sit there and go, okay, now is that MS? Is the cancer back? Is that lipedema? Is that arthritis because I'm getting old or, or what it is? And, and going to the doctors with an ailment, it's, I try and go to the same doctor all the time because it takes too long and it costs too much if I've got to pay for a long consultation just to tell them everything that's wrong. Um, but, look, I, I do have a brilliant medical team behind me as well and they all talk to each other and, you know, I'm very, very lucky uh, to live in Australia and, and we have Medicare and, and everything like that. So um, uh, I eat clean. I eat extremely well. Um, I'm also what's called histamine intolerant. Uh, so foods that contain high histamines make me sick. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, 
All right, so I've got to be careful of what I eat and um, I only pretty much drink water. I'm allergic to caffeine. I don't eat sugar. I don't drink sugar. So that all helps with the positivity. I imagine as well, if you've got severe negative consequences of things like sugar and caffeine, you're more likely to not have those things, which would then lead to the benefits of not having those things. Sometimes it's so hard to forget that people with conditions, I have conditions myself as well, that we have normal problems at the same time. Mm. You mentioned arthritis and fatigue. That have nothing to do with the conditions. That could just be an age thing. As you get older, as you're living with the conditions, we have normal, in our quotes, issues as well. Mm. Alongside, That's right. Yeah, just because I have MS doesn't mean that something else in my body isn't going to fail. And to give you an example, um, when I, so I was diagnosed in 2011 and then at the beginning of 2013, I got rushed to hospital with this massive pain in my head. It was like someone was putting a dagger in and out of my head. And they put me on an ECG machine in emergency and, um, they said, uh, does your chest feel okay? And I'm like, well, it feels the same as what it normally does. And I'm like, why? And they said, oh, your resting heart rate is 165 beats a minute. And I'm like, oh, that's a bit fast, isn't it? Very, yeah. Like 100 beats, 100 beats per minute, too fast. And um, I'm like, oh, oh, okay, what does that mean? It means, well, you're going to have to go see a cardiologist. You've got something wrong with your heart. And they said, didn't you notice that? And I said, oh, I just thought it was like MS internal shakes that I'd been walking around <laughs> with for 12 months and, and thought it was just the MS. And I didn't know. No, Juzzy, it was not the MS. Uh, that led me to my first heart surgery. And then my resting heart rate peaked at 217 beats a minute. Mm. And the world was looking oh. very black and closing in and I'd lost hearing and yeah, I was uh, I was knocking on the door, I can tell you. Um, so, yeah, not everything is related to the, your disability. Um, you know, you still get, I still get colds, I still get sick. Um, you know, I'm constantly, every 12 months I'm at the dermatologist looking to see if there's any more melanoma and I've caught three asymptomatic moles that haven't, so which is the stage before melanoma. Um, so I'm very proactive on what I'm what I'm doing. Um, you know, tomorrow morning I'm off for a mammogram. Um, so I keep a planner, not just for work, but for all the medical appointments as well, because um, it's vitally important that, you know, you keep on top of your health because you get one body. And one mind and, um, yeah, once it's gone, <laughs> you're underground. So, um, you know, I woke up one morning and I couldn't walk anymore. Um, I was unable to walk and I ended up in hospital for three weeks right. trying to learn how to work, walk again. And that was in 2000 and end of 2017. And um, you start questioning a lot of things when, when things like that happen and, um, I believe that I've become a better person from it all as well. I'm far more compassionate. Um, I've always been a bit of an empath, but um, I'm far more, far more tolerant and um, compassionate uh, towards people uh, nowadays. You know, everyone is 
struggling with something even the ones that say that they're not they're probably got more struggles than than the average person and you know just just be kind you know being kind is positive in itself and it doesn't have to cost you anything to be kind um you know you could go out for your daily walk and just smile at someone and that might be the only smile that they see all day or you know you, you might have some friends that you're catching up with. Give them a hug that lasts for 30 seconds because, you know, that giving someone a hug and making sure that, you know, it's about 30 seconds worth or, or longer helps ward off depression. And we all struggled in COVID when we were locked in our houses and for those of us that lived alone, it was extremely difficult not having that interaction and that human touch. Um, so you never know what anyone else is going through and what they're struggling um, for. I know when I was um, out walking when COVID was on and we had to wear our masks outside here in Australia and I made sure I said hello to everyone because I couldn't smile. So I'd say hello or good morning or good afternoon and I still do that when I'm out now. Um, and, again, you never know. That might be the only interaction that that person has had all day or in a couple of days that someone's taken the time to say hello or, you know, check up with your neighbours. Do you know your neighbours? Build a sense of community around you as well um, because in a time of adversity you may just need that neighbour and who you thought were good friends may end up just being merely acquaintances and the acquaintances are actually uh, there for you and I had that happen in um, 2011 when I was diagnosed with EMS and they put me on some drugs and I had an allergic reaction to it and I was a Weight Watchers leader in, in my former life and um, one of my members lived down the road and I had been at home in bed for three days with a fever of 41 degrees and my daughter was 14 and she was worried that she couldn't get me out of bed. And um, I should have been in hospital, but my partner at the time was away working in the mines and there was no one to take care of Ellie. And I was very concerned that, you know, she would go into foster care and, and I stuck it out at home. And this woman noticed that she knew that I'd been diagnosed with EMS and she'd noticed that I hadn't been up and down the road um, driving the car and so she came and knocked on the front door and my daughter answered it and she asked if I was okay oh. is mum okay and no I wasn't okay I hadn't had a shower in three days Ellie was trying to cook what she could we had limited food in the house and she came in looked at me and she goes right she goes I'm going home to get some food and I'm coming back and I am not leaving until you have a shower. And she went home and got casseroles and chicken noodle soup that she had in the freezer and brought it back to us. And, and then um, she helped me get out of bed and, and get in the shower. And then she helped dry me and then put me back in the bed. And then she came up every day and until I could get medical attention and, and get help. But you know, she was someone at that particular time that I would have just classed as an acquaintance, but she's turned out to be one of my closest friends and um, she now lives, because I'm living on the other side of the country, but we still, you know, 
um, catch up via social media and then when I go back to Perth I catch up with her and make sure I go and see her and and that and that was the act of kindness absolute kindness she didn't have to do that you know she barely knew me at the time except for her Weight Watchers leader that stood up in front of her every week telling her to lose weight um, but here she was um, yeah acting out of kindness and and it doesn't cost much uh, to do that. And can you imagine what the world would be if we all act out of kindness, how much of a better place it would be? And, and that's one of the reasons why I don't watch the news, Michael, because um, it's all negative. Why does the news always have to report on everything that's negative in the world? There's so much good stuff that's happening. Um, make it 50-50. For every bad news story you put up, put a bloody good one up of what, you know, of what people are doing for other people on on the kindness that they're doing and you would find that society would would shift um, for that and you know I've just written a children's book and illustrated it it was a goal of mine to do for my grand uh, grandkids and it's all about equality and inclusion and it launched last week and I'm bloody proud of that book and if we don't start looking after the next generation that's coming through, society is never going to change, never going to change. And we're never going to have an equal and inclusive society unless, you know, we start educating that, that next generation, that young generation that's coming. This is completely different from our prior conversation, to be honest, Justine, but I figured it's worth just double clicking on it just for the sake of um your book that you wrote and mm. also i'd love to hear your thoughts given that people with conditions are typically segregated or separated in one way or another when it comes to daily life and everyone has to fight for different facilities for people that are in wheelchairs for instance mm. and things like that there's a lot of separation around particular conditions and disabilities and it made me think of trying to help everybody get along trying to help everyone live together without trying to kill each other in one way or another and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it because I have my own but I would kind of defer to you regarding the the whole equality thing so what are your thoughts on it um that I think we need to start with our immediate people that we associate with. You know, are you treating them equal? And if everyone, if everyone does that, it's a domino effect. If everyone treats their circle of friends and family equal and with respect and kindness, um, then it's a domino. Then, you know, it goes on to the next one and goes on to the next one, goes on to the next one in doing that and it shouldn't matter what race religion ability disability we are all the same we are all creatures that walk this planet that have to share this planet with the animals we are no higher up the food chain than the animals um, and we treat we should be treating everyone with that love and respect and if we start right in our own our own homes and our with our you know our immediate circle then that's a start and if everyone did that then the whole world would eventually do it that's my thought what's yours well mine in a way came about because there's a lot of 
um, identity, politics, and gender support, I guess, for want of a better expression. Everyone is supporting their version of reality, whatever that looks like, whether mm. they've got a particular gender, a particular thing that they identify with. And I, I think a lot of it comes about when their own personal view is being put on to other people. And if you put it onto your friends, that's frowned upon in a way. Like you're trying mm. to tell other people how to parent their kids, for instance, doesn't go down well. And yet we seem to expect that to work at a societal level where there's more variety. And we seem to think that personal mm. versions of reality or the way that they see the world somehow people lost to... respect. Yeah. I think respect is there anymore. And, you know, when I was growing up, 50 years ago um we used to respect our elders that doesn't happen anymore you know I find, we don't I, I find that a, a lot of it's like <laughs> the the individuality has started to bleed over into it's not going to be equal then it's very mm -hmm. difficult to be equal and individual at a country level at the same time because yeah. naturally the more of you that there are if you look at, let's say you're a company and you look at marketing and you, you've got no choice really but to go with the majority to help the most number of people, to sell to the most number of people that you can. You go with the majority, what people like the most. It's how companies tend to work. That's why Coca-Cola does so well with one recipe because <laughs> it, it's nice to the most number of people. Yeah. You've got no choice but for there to be a minority as well. You can't have one without the other. Like you can't have individuality without segregation because everyone's trying to be individual so yeah. if everyone does that we're going to diverge somewhere and that's where segregations and categories come in and, and that's fine as long as there's a respect you know everyone can have their own opinion um everyone can you know choose what gender they want to be nowadays but you got to have respect for each other and where's that respect? It's gone. It has really gone. You know, respect of personal space, respect of, you know, your elders. You, know, you only have to travel on public transport and see that people don't get up for old people, disabled people or pregnant women anymore. Where's that respect? How is that treating everyone equal? You know, there, there's, there's no respect Um there, there's no respect for, um, you know, authority um, or any of that. Uh, and, and, and that's a sad thing. I also find as well that there needs to be, I guess, more generalised things that then, in effect, become more inclusive. So, stupid example, yeah. let's use toilets as an example, right? Bit silly. Sorry for those that are listening. We're on a segue now. We're going to follow this channel all the way to the end. But there we go. It's like we've got males and female toilets and be more inclusive, just have toilets. And however you go to the toilet, you can do it on a toilet or whatever. It's up to you. Hmm. And that that's how we would include everybody. I don't see why we should have toilets for different genders when we could just call them toilets and you do your business in there and that's fine it respects everybody because then if it's almost like um days of the year you know we have like mental health week yeah. and gay pride and all the other yeah. stuff that we have in the world 
that's that's going to cause segregation because then some brand new thing, for want of a better word, brand new thing will come <laughs> along. They will mm. want their own day. They will mm. want their own week. I don't their- understand. I don't understand day like celebrating that day. And it's like Mother's Day here in Australia and Father's Day. It's like. Mm. You know, how does that work? And, you know, the sole parents that are doing both and it's like, you know what, just celebrate every day that you're alive because, you know, every day is a blessing that you're still walking the planet. I know it is for me. I appreciate every day that I'm here and I don't need a government or a, you know, someone in some organisation in their marketing plan to say, oh, this is the day that you only get to celebrate. You know, I celebrate every day being a mum celebrate every day being a grandma and I celebrate every day that I can still walk this planet and I'm still here and I'm still giving that they're things that I celebrate and um you know I treat everyone equal um regardless of their their race or their creed whatever it is you know you're all equal in my eyes unless you do me wrong and if you do me wrong well then they get put into another section but that's not because of you know, the colour of their skin or what religion they are, that's because morally they are, um, their values don't match with my values if you treat me wrong, so. It's interesting, isn't it, because we don't judge people, we judge their actions. We don't judge their personality, we judge what they do. We don't listen to what they say, we look at what they do. Similar to, like, kids Mm -hmm. with parents is you can tell them anything, but if you don't do it, they'll see that and they'll go with that more so than what you tell them. And I think that a lot of the time, everyone is taking everything more personally, I think, than they have done for a while. It's become more personal in in this day and age as well. Everything's Mm -hmm. personal. If you can't go to the toilet when you want to, it's personal, apparently. If you can't have the food that you want at a restaurant, apparently that's personal too. And We've become very self-entitled. I think it's, it's a version of entitlement, isn't it? But then on the flip side of that, a lot of the time, it's almost like a, a flip side of what we've been talking about, is that you're so sure of yourself that mm. it bleeds over into everything else. Like and, and it's so much so that we start to project it onto everybody else and everything else. And then we seem to project it and then not like it when it started with us. Yeah. So you've got to be careful with that. Very careful with that. And I, th- I think a lot of people struggle with it because it's a lot of hard work. It's not easy. It's <laughs> not an easy thing to do. You've got to be prepared to stop yourself in your tracks. And you've got to be prepared to question yourself enough to stop going down these angry, rage-fueled rabbit holes of righteousness and being right all the time and everybody else is wrong, even if it's an opinion. And it doesn't work once you go outside of your own little circle as well. And that comes back to kindness again. You know, treat everyone equal, be kind to everyone because you just don't know what kind of a day that they're actually having or what's going on in their lives. And, you know, they might only be holding on by, you know, the smallest little thread and you come along and and um, cut that thread and, and you just don't know where it is. But, 
you know, you can go in there and, and be kind, compliment. When was the last time you complimented someone? You know, I if a woman's wearing something that's really nice, I'm like, wow, I love that top or I love your shoes or, you know, a guy could have a really nice aftershave on. I'm like, oh, you smell really nice today. Can you tell me what that fragrance is? And and all, you see their whole mannerisms and their, their bodies perk up and smile and, and they'll tell you where they got it from or what it is. And um, you've just, you know that you've just made their day. But you've got to say it authentically and ask it authentically as well because they'll know if you're just putting it on. Um, but, yeah, kindness. You know, like I said, you know, it doesn't cost much to be kind. It makes me think of actually some of the best ways of communicating because we don't live inside our own bubbles, do we? And I think a lot of people can forget that when they're trying to go after what they want while other people are also doing the same, which then Mm. makes me think of, okay, how would you suggest people interact? You mentioned compliments. You mentioned communicating certain things. How can we navigate conversations because sometimes difficult conversations you mentioned that you were questioning things pretty intensely when you had a couple of diagnoses in the past Mm. and it made me think of what are the communication keys if you will to being positive being resilient but then the result of it could be okay maybe we're going to come across people that don't necessarily agree with us or people that are more negatively inclined than we're trying to be and we're trying to communicate that to them what are some of the things that you found that have worked for you listening listening to those that are around me um i think listening is a very powerful tool and you'll if you've got you know close people around you and you're actually listening to what they say you'll know something's up with them just by the tone that they're using whether they're making eye contact what their body language is doing whether they're hiding something or not from you um we don't listen enough um we're all too busy in our own little world and you know putting it forward without listening and listening is is the basis of any conversation. I found that the better I listen, funnily enough, I don't know if you've experienced this as well, Justine, but it makes my life easier. Yes. And the reason why is you're more focused on conversations or engaging mm. with people or trying to do things that other people want. Sometimes we have to do that to get by. And we'll know what that is if we listen. Yes. And how many people nowadays, um, especially when children are around, are busy on their phones? They're so busy on their phones that they're not listening or watching what their children are doing. And that, and that could be that they're just the child is so excited from coming in from school that they've either made a new friend or they've, you know, got good marks in an assignment or whatever it is they want to share with you what they've done during that day and you're sitting there with your head in a phone, I'll guarantee you that you are not listening to a word that they're saying. Um, I can no longer multitask. 
some would say that I have a male brain uh, nowadays. Females can multitask and men, and men can't. Well, I'm telling you, I used to be able to multitask, but since having MS, yeah, that's gone out the window. And um, so if I'm sitting there watching telly on the rare occasion and someone's there and they're trying to talk to me, I won't understand or remember a word that they've said to me. Um, I actually have to pause it, stop, look at them, watch their mouth move and engage in listening skills uh, for me to take it in and remember. Um, if I'm if I'm trying to cook dinner and carry out a conversation, now you'll get burnt dinner because I will have forgotten to take something <laughs> off the stove. And, you know, I'm, I'm aware that, you know, because I do have cognitive um, damage. I have an acquired brain injury from the MS and I'm aware of what I can do and I can't do in regards to that. And, um, yeah, so listening is, for me, stopping everything can, and engaging with that person who I'm communicating with and, and taking it in. Otherwise, whew, it's gone. Do you have any final thoughts for us Justine anything that you would kick yourself if we didn't have the chance to mention and then I'll give you the chance to share how people can find out more about you um just don't give up you know for me um life didn't stop when I became disabled it just took on a whole new meaning and a better meaning uh for me and you know, never let anyone else's false beliefs stop you from achieving what you want to achieve in your life. You know, if someone's being negative Nancy around you and, you know, one of your dreams, you know, you've got this dream, that you've got this goal in place and someone's like, oh, you can't do that or don't do that, um, that's you making them uncomfortable in their own life. It's not about you, it's about them. Um, in that regard so you know if you've got a dream get off the lounge get off your butt and, and and go for it don't procrastinate anymore just do it just do it and and a whole new world will open up um because of it are you on social media for those that want to find out more about you and give you a chance to share websites as well Okay, so on social media, just look up Resilience Mindset with Justine Martin. Um, and my website is uh, justinemartin.com.au or you can go onto Linktree and put in Linktree um, Justine Martin Corporation. We can just go straight into Google because I come up absolutely um, everywhere on, on Google and just put in Justine Martin Geelong and you'll be able to find me. Uh, without a, a problem there whatsoever. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Those that are listening, feel free to subscribe, share the show, tell others, and also leave a review wherever you are listening in to your podcasts. Justine, it's been great to have you on. I look forward to keeping in touch. Yeah, likewise, Michael. Thank you for the opportunity to talk to your listeners. If you want to join a group of like-minded people that are all out to achieve their goals, their dreams, their aspirations, and they get the help and support from me and the other members, then my inner circle is for you. There's a link in the description for this episode to get two months free of the inner circle. So you set your membership up, you get two months free access. Hopefully I'll see you there and I look forward to helping you on your journey of achieving the life that you 
want.